Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. You're listening to the original radio show and podcast about food and wine, broadcast from Paris, France. Paris Good Food and Wine, we delve into the topics of food, wine, and all their related subjects, talking with an array of people whose expertise both pepper and help ferment the food and wine scene in Paris, France, and the world at large. We're glad you can join us here for the delicious stories we bring you on Paris, good food, and wine. Please leave your comments, reviews, and suggestions. You can also contact us at our Twitter, at Paris Food Wine, or on our website, parisfoodandwine.net, or on my Instagram page, P-A-I-G-E, Food Wine. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and wherever you download your podcasts. For the longest time, there was a shop called Thanksgiving in the Marais here in Paris. It was in the Cartier Saint-Paul, just next to the Village Saint-Paul. The little shop carried all things delicious that were American. When you were hankering for Duncan Hines brownie mix, or a box of Campid Crunch, or even a pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving, that's where you'd go. And then one day, it was just no more. It didn't go away with a bang. It just sort of disappeared. After being there for decades, one day it was just gone. This year, as we celebrate the 400th year of the Pilgrim's Landing on Plymouth Rock, the inspiration for our most American of holidays, Thanksgiving, I got to thinking about this little shop that once was here in the Marais in Paris. Celebrating 400 years of the Mayflower's landing on the shores of America is cause for celebration. To think all that has been accomplished these past 400 years, we have much to be grateful for. With such cause for celebration, it's disheartening to hear reports from the U.S. calling for a curbing, if not outright cancellation, of this year's Thanksgiving holiday celebrations. For most Americans, Thanksgiving is the one holiday per year we spend with family, as an extended family, at least for those of us lucky enough to still have that. Limiting contact with family members this year at Thanksgiving as a way to avoid potential contact and transmission of a virus seems, well, depressing. Here in France, and most of Europe, the heritage of traditions are centuries, even millennia old. In America, we have less of a recorded history to celebrate and acknowledge. Thanksgiving is one of our very few holidays that celebrate a uniquely American heritage. I hope, like the little shop called Thanksgiving that once existed here in Paris's heart, our holiday of Thanksgiving does not whimperingly fade away, only to one day cease to exist at all. So, in honor of John and Priscilla Alden, my ancestors, who braved a transatlantic crossing in the early 17th century to flee persecution and establish a life for themselves and their offspring on new shores, I toast to Thanksgiving and to their hardiness, as well as the rest of the passengers on the Mayflower. 
I also deeply acknowledge and offer up my gratitude to the indigenous peoples, the Native Americans, our very own First Nations people, without whom none of the Mayflower passengers could have survived that first winter. The Wampanoag tribe's role in our survival has been woefully downplayed over the centuries, even ignored. To these people who allowed our forefathers and foremothers to survive, we owe a deep, deep debt of gratitude. And that is truly what Thanksgiving is all about. Gratitude. Thanksgiving is finding in our hearts all that we are grateful for. It's remembering that regardless of our circumstances and situations, there's always something to be grateful for. Please find in our show notes on localfood.wine the short video of the Wampanoag tribe entitled, We Are Still Here. Also, the tradition of fall harvest feasts actually were a Native American tradition that we took from them and eventually renamed Thanksgiving. You can also find from historical accounts of the first Thanksgiving, memoirs from pilgrims William Bradford and Edward Winslow that depict the Wampanoag tribe's welcome of foreign settlers, which paved the way for the first Thanksgiving. That's all featured in our show notes as well on localfood.wine, also localfoodandwine.wordpress.com. And with that, I turn to our feature interview for this month's podcast, the author of Pancakes in Paris and the sequel, Let Them Eat Pancakes. Craig Carlson is a Parisian who opened the beloved Breakfast in America restaurants decades ago in Paris. When you oh so need a big breakfast of thick buttermilk pancakes drenched in maple syrup and melted butter, this is where you go. And in the winters, they offer the bottomless cup of coffee and a slice of pie in late afternoons. Craig and his partner, Julien, speak to us this episode about his books and about being the most famous American pancake purveyor in Paris. Season 7 of Local Good Food and Wine is generously being brought to you by IOT Shipping. IOT, the Internet of Things. IOT Shipping tracks your value assets using the Internet of Things technology that gives you data points based on temperature, movement, and geolocation. For more information, contact us at iotshipping.xyz. That's iotshipping.xyz. This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine has been brought to you by Paris Food and Wine. You can find us at parisfoodandwine.net. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host, Paige Donner. So I'm standing here with Craig Carlson, who is the entrepreneur, the owner of Breakfast in America, known fondly here in Paris as BIA. And we're standing right in the heart of the Marais, in actually his second location, which he'll, he'll tell us more about. And uh, where he's going to talk to us about his books, Pancakes in Paris, a New York Times bestseller. Also, his more recent one, which is Let Them Eat Pancakes, which is also doing phenomenally well. And also, he's going to tell us a little bit. He's going to give us some inside scoops and insights as to what it is to be a restaurateur here in Paris. All right, Craig. So, um, wow. The theme today, as, as I was telling you after reading your books, I was like, 
you've come a long way, baby. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's what a lot of people have said um, after reading the books, especially the first one, is uh, is that it's very inspirational. The whole idea of just uh, having this dream and, and uh, a bit of a crazy dream, actually, because I had never owned my own business. Uh, I decided to open the restaurant, business, a restaurant, which is the riskiest business. And they do it in a foreign country, foreign language. That's you know one of the culinary capitals of the world. So it was a big, big feat. Uh, I had to really literally start from zero uh, and, and put together a business plan, raise $100,000 in uh, seed money so I could get a loan over here, find a location, set up the company, get a visa on and on and on and uh so it was a big long long process about almost three years of my life before i got it open you know you were um you, i mean you're not you're by no means old now but you were you were quite young too still then i mean you were um we're talking 20 25 years ago now right actually no um um it's about a little over 20 years now so i was i was a uh, 36 uh when i started with the idea and uh into 38 when I finally opened. So, yeah, so it, relative, it, was, it was still a moment, uh, one of those life-changing periods, you know, right before 40, because back then 40 seemed so important and it seemed so long ago now. But uh, it was, where do I want to be when I'm 40? And I imagined myself in the restaurant with my customers, with my staff, have, having formed a little bit of a family here. And, and sure enough, on my 40th birthday, that's what it was. So, so it was quite a real testament to the having a vision and really seeing it and going through with it so well you know and and also let's let's set the stage a little bit for our listeners because i know like you you and i are parisians so we i mean i know your your restaurant is famous breakfast in america bia it's very famous it's one of the anchor restaurants here in, in paris not just for american food but for for the for the french too i mean it's really um part of the culinary scene here but for someone who's never been to to Paris what sets your and you know I love that chapter in your book too about with Madame Hubert how she says tell me what's the what is a dîner what is a dîner and you're like no it's diner right, exactly. <laughs> yes that was that was so interesting because um uh, I really wanted to have you know the iconic diner that that has breakfast all day and the unlimited coffee or which they call jus de chaussette in French you know uh, sock juice and uh, so I insisted on calling it a diner and all my French friends and the, uh, even the bank said but dîner dîner that means to eat dinner so breakfast in America dinner <laughs> you know it doesn't make sense it's a contradiction I said no 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 the, you know well I'll tell let the, my customers know how to pronounce it and and this kind of thing and uh, and sure enough uh, I think it was even not even a year into being open, um, the, the Parisien, the local newspaper, the daily newspaper, Paris newspaper, did an article on us, and they spelt diner phonetically. And they said, prononcez diner, D-A-I with two dots, N-E-U-R. And I thought, okay, this is great. And then from that moment, people started pronouncing it that way. And, uh, and I think the final, like, wonderful moment with that word was uh, about 10 years into the restaurant uh, being open and successful I watched saw one of our supplier trucks go by and they had it was a brand new truck and on it said in French the number one supplier of diners in Paris <laughs> and I said okay the word is now part of the, the lexicon of France you know and so wow yeah you changed the the culinary landscape and you changed the phonetic landscape too <laughs> exactly, yes. right. yeah 
so let's touch a little bit on the locations before we delve deeper into the subjects that, that you cover in your book. Um, but so we've already talked about your Marais, which is really the heart of Paris, one of the cutest, most welcoming areas of, of Paris. Like all the all the tourists come here. Your other location, though, your first location is practically right across the street from one of the well. Well, it is practically right across the street from a couple of the Sorbonne um, campuses. So, tell us about your first location. Yeah, the, the, there's a there's a whole story in the in the books about finding the right location, right? Because I had had one in place, and I thought this was the dream one. It fell through, and then some restaurant owners told me that's very common. You know, you get your heart set on something, and then then after it, it's gone, you realize, wait a minute, it actually was a good thing. So, the way I stumbled into the one in the fifth was just wonderful. I just um, I found out through a contact that I had met in the states who set me up with a company here. And it was an elderly couple in the fifth round small who were about to retire. And um, they were getting offers every week. And they just kept refusing them and refusing them. The monsieur, you know, he, he didn't really want to retire. He had no children. And uh, they'd never had any kids. And Madame was just trying to push them out the door. They were in their 70s. They are just like, I'm done. Let's move on. It's a cafe. We're done, you know. And um, eventually... Uh, we were really warmed up to each other, and I like to think they considered me kind of like the son they never had because they eventually said, you know what, we're going to go with you, which kind of surprised so many people that they would go with an American guy doing a, a diner. And, uh, but what I loved about that location, it's really close to my heart because I had studied in France um, my junior year abroad from the University of Connecticut, and um, funny enough, the hostel that we stayed in was right around the corner from the second restaurant, and it still exists. It's still a auberge de jeunesse, you know. Um, but I spent so much time on the, in the Latin Quarter, which is where the first restaurant is, going to the cinemas because I became a real cinephile here in France. It just uh, and it helped me decide to go to film school after I got out. And so this so old cinema still exists. They show all you know old art. It's an art house cinemas, you know. And so here, this location was right smack in the middle of the two where I used to go to all the time as a student. So something felt perfect about that. And you mentioned the Sorbonne being there and Jussieu. So it's a big student um, area. And and I knew that our I guessed that our uh, clientele would be young, you know, because of the nature of the food and the concept and all this. And similarly. Um, I use my background in cinema to really pump up the idea of, you know what, French people know what a diner is. They've seen it in films, Pulp Fiction, and, you know, Happy Days on TV. I just have to let them, you know, uh, discover what that is. And so I put up posters of, of scenes from movies uh, in diners or delicate delicatessens, like, for example, the Harry Met Sally scene, you know, or at, at Katz's Deli. Um, and then French people go, oh, of course, that's what it is. And then they would start recreating some of the scenes. You see some customers who will do the, the, you know, the, the, um, the scene from Pulp Fiction you know, with Honey Bunny in the, in the coffee shop. And they'll like be in the same positions and they'll mirror the posters and, and all that. So I think the fifth location was perfect for that kind of thing, to c- combine my two loves, cinema and breakfast, <laughs> if you will. So, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. The location in the, in the fifth arrondissement. The, yeah, in the cinquième. Cinquième, <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Well, okay, that's 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 insightful. Um, I know I keep I keep teasing your your books, but one more thing be, before we get to a couple of the chapters, can you rattle off uh, some of your favorite uh, menu items just so people get a sense of you know what is it? Why do people love breakfast in America so much? Yeah, I think the the um, 
I'll back up a second because I really wanted to bring breakfast over to France, the American breakfast, because I had been living here for two or three years beforehand working on a TV show. And I love croissants and pain au chocolat and a baguette. But every single morning, you know, it just gets you want something else. Right. And so that's where the inspiration came from. And so but I had to I knew that the French didn't have American breakfast. So I had to somehow, you know turn them onto that. So that was a whole process that I talk about in the book. And so um, in the beginning, uh, uh, basically I started with breakfast and added burgers because of the French, French customers asking for burgers. And it took them time to realize they could have breakfast at any time. That was a big thing. So right now, our most popular items um, is uh, like we have a lumberjack breakfast, which is just taken off, which has, you know, ham, bacon, sausage, uh, eggs as you wish, uh, grilled tomatoes, um, garlic potatoes, a French toast. Uh, it's just a bit of everything because the French love to have like, you know, a tasting menu, if you will, you know, a bit of everything. So that's super popular. My favorite is the CC's Big Mess, which is a big breakfast scramble um, with pretty much everything but the kitchen sink in it all mixed up together. Um, and of course, pancakes is our number one seller. Um, we, you know, we also do a uh, two by two by two and a three by three by three so that Again, French love to, uh, you know, try a little of everything. So when they can't decide, should I have pancakes, should I have eggs, or should I have bacon? I'm like, you know, can you get it all in this one dish. And um, but and then on the burger side, I think our Breakfast in America burger, the IA burger with uh, grilled onions, grilled pepper, barbecue sauce, you know, cheese, uh, you know, for pretty hearty. Add bacon for make it a super BIA. That's our number one burgers. And our Cali, Cali wrap is huge seller, and so is our, um, our veggie wrap. Um, and Julian, uh, my partner and husband, a French husband, he uh, is generally a vegetarian. <laughs> he likes foie gras, escargot, and bœuf bourguignon from time to time. But other than that, he's pretty much no, not a meat guy. So he's really introduced a lot of specials, um, especially no, uh, uh, no gluten, sans gluten, as they call it. He's really pushed that angle. Right now he's doing a special um, beet pancake that's uh, you know made with with uh, other kinds of flour, you know, uh, non-gluten flour. So that kind of thing, we've been expanding that over the years with demand. But uh, so definitely our breakfasts are the most popular. The unlimited coffee, the Jude Chaussette, that, that took some time to convince French people. They would like, I want a real coffee. And I'm like, well, there, what's a real one to you? <laughs> you know, and they really learned to appreciate that with your big hearty breakfast. It's great to keep getting refills and just have your coffee through the whole meal instead. Of, and I love espressos, but I like them at the end of my French meal, you know, just like Voop, and I'm done, you know. But for breakfast, I have to have my big mug. I hear you. I hear you. Big mug with that big stack of pancakes. Yeah. And also one of the things I've always loved about your place too over the years is um, like during the cool, the colder months, you have those afternoon like piece of pie, like piece of pumpkin pie or piece of apple pie with the bottomless mug. Oh, I love that. I yeah, because here, that's the other thing we did that, that most restaurants don't do here in France, is we stay open during the coupure, it's called. The, 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 usually French restaurants will serve until 3, and they'll shut down until 7. So that at 3 to 7, there's not a lot of options. You know, you can go to a brasserie or cafe. But um, our, so our French customers have really loved that. They love that they can just do their schedule and come in if they want to have what's called the goûter, or their snack at 4 o'clock. Or five o'clock. That's what we did. We introduced get a coffee and an apple pie for you know for a small price, um, and nice and warm and heated up like you said in the winter time, and uh, that's really worked. But um, that four to seven hour, that's really helped us because you know students have a class until whatever. They didn't get a chance to eat lunch. They can come then. 
And so that's really helped us. But yeah, those little promotions are really helpful. Okay, great. All right. So let's um, switch a little bit now to, let's go to your book, finally. <laughs> let's get to your book. So um, we'll touch more on the, your latest one, the Let Them Eat Pancakes. One of the things I found so fascinating in there, Craig, is the fact that you um, unabashedly go into the intricacies, shall we say, of labor law here in France, because that's something that I've always pondered. You know, I mean, I've met so many restaurateurs over the years and spoken to them, mostly French, but several Americans as well. And I've honestly never figured out how any of you make any money because um, you're paying out so much in in for, for the employees. You're you're covering so much. You're paying 47% in taxes of everything you earn. So, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not asking you about your finances, but I'm just kind of you know, framing it in as such. But I am interested to hear more about how you've been able to navigate these labor laws here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, um, and, and Julian and I each month go, geez, how do we make money here? <laughs> how, do, how do French companies, especially cafes and, and, and restaurants, how do we do it, you know? And so... Um, it's interesting. I think. I think uh, probably it's not so much the uh, the taxes that is the problem, you know. Because uh, I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. It's it's the inflexibility of of the system. Okay. So for when infamously the, the, these contracts we have here that are called uh, CDIs, which are lifetime contracts, essentially they're really, really, really hard to break once someone gets a CDI. But on the other side, it's really important to the employee because with that they can go uh, to the bank and get uh, a loan to buy a, buy a place or to get uh, a rent. You know, they require because that shows the 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 the, the, the people that okay, this person's got a stable job and they're they're gonna not go anywhere you know they're, they're. but um but the problem is with for us um you have a two-month trial period in the beginning and you can renew it one more time but after that you have them forever and so you often have uh, employees who are in their best behavior during the trial period which i have a whole chapter in the, this book called the trial period where it's the one time you can you have some flexibility and you can let someone go if you have some doubts um but boy once they're locked in it becomes this incredible process of of, of a dossier and you can give them all kinds of warnings, but you you can't use those uh, infractions towards the, the letting them go. I mean, it's 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 really insane. And even uh, when you talk to different lawyers, they're like, well, you know, they added laws onto laws onto laws, so there's contradictions all the time. So it almost always comes back to interpretation. And unfortunately, most of the courts here, in my opinion, they just give it all to the employees. So employees can sometimes take advantage of that, you know? And so I was talking to a friend who has a uh, diner in London, actually. And there, if, if an employee wants to take someone to court, they have to actually pay a little into the process, right? Um, even if they have a, a, a sponsored attorney. Here, it's completely free. You know, you're, 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 if you as an employee, you're covered. If, if, you, if you don't have the cash, you just get a lawyer and they just take care of you. So for a lot of employees, it's like, let's just give it a try. You know, it, it can't hurt. And so it, always, it often comes down to the character of the employee. If they want to use the system, boy, can they just use it, you know? Um, and that's really hard for an, an employee because there's this image here in France. Uh, I remember there's, there was... Um, 
high unemployment for young people, right? It's huge. It's 20 something percent if, you know, for people 26 and under. So it was back in Sarkozy. He wanted to have this uh, contract that for two years, um, you, you could, uh, during that two year period, if, if it wasn't working out, you could let the person go. People were in the streets and the kids were just screaming. And like, can you believe it? You can be fired, <laughs> you know? And I tried to talk to them nicely. And I said, listen, you have this perception that we're walking around as an owner trying to look who we're going to fire next. Believe me, I'm wait. I want people to stay. I want a good employee. When you get a good employee, you ne- want them never to leave. So I, you have to sort of look at this differently. You know that that this gives us some flexibility. You know. So the other the other thing is the contracts themselves, right? So we have a lot of students who who work with us, um, international students, because one of the requirements is that they speak some English, right? And uh, and and French, of course, and um, and so we end up getting a lot of international students, and they're allowed to work for twenty hours a week, and so. Um, so we have a lot of students that work for us, and we'll do a 20-hour contract for them. Now, most people, if you know anything about France, you've heard about the infamous 35-hour week, right? That was enacted in, thing, I believe, early 2000s, I believe, um, late ni- 1990s. And um, so my mind when I first got over here is like, okay, 35 hours is, is full-time. After that's overtime. So I have someone on for a 20-hour contract. They can work up to 35 hours if they want. No. They can only work 20% more of their contract. So a 20-hour contract, they can only work four extra hours a week. What's the logic to that? I don't understand. You know, if somebody wants to work more, why can't they work more? What, what are you protecting at that point, you know? And so, um, so that's been really hard. So, so when you have five weeks paid vacation for every single employee, when, they're, when someone's gone, you need to fill that spot. And you would think that it would be more flexible that you could just go, okay, you can work, cover that person and work 30, 35 hours this week. No, it's against the law. If you want to change the contract up, it's almost impossible to bring it down. So if I say, okay, I'm going to add an addendum to the contract so you can work 30 hours, I can't go back to 20 afterwards. You have to prove it and you have to show, okay, is the company having financial difficulties? or whatever. It's insane. And so um, that is the hardest part about doing business here. It's not the taxes and because you know what? There are very wealthy people here in France. There are businesses that are making billions and, and, and CEOs that are making tons of money. So they're, they're, somehow we, make it, we can make money. But to not be able to have that flexibility is really, really difficult and a little crazy <laughs> when you think about it, right? Well, you know, um, it, that's an interesting point. I mean, you obviously know it much more in depth than uh, I ever will. But I remember a French friend explained that to me when I first uh, came here. She had actually spent quite a bit of time in L.A. She had done her studies there and had then come back and was working here. And she said, no, Paige, you know, actually, we it's against the law to work more than 35 hours a week. I said, I said, what? But I mean, you can get a second job. You know, I mean, you can work 35 at your main job and then get a second job if you want to earn more money. She's like, no. You can't. <laughs> I said, what? She goes, no, it's against the law. And I said that I, I just could not wrap my head around that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It just, it just, sir, you know, on the other side, I understand because a lot of my family and a lot of people I know back in the States have to work two, three jobs just to make ends meet. So that's the other extreme, isn't it? So, but here, if you, if you want to do a little extra on the side, if you want to take on a second job, for whatever reason, shouldn't you be allowed to do that? So I think that that is those those are some of the sticking points that are there that as a businessman. That's that's extremely hard. Um, 
and and you know there's there's just lots of lots of other details about that too um you know there there's everything is super super regulated which i think is great in a lot of ways you know because for example on one end they really which i think is great they go they want to make sure that the wine on your menu is the wine you're serving that it's the right appellation and da, 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 and that the right ingredients and all these things i totally love that um, even though sometimes it, it can be a, a lot of extra work because they like to come in and surprise you, these inspectors, right? But there's others like the, the they came in uh, to see about the, the menu and how it was translated into French. <laughs> and so, for example, we couldn't um, call salsa salsa by itself. We had to call it, uh, you know, sauce mexicaine, Mexican sauce. You know, you couldn't call a uh, uh, English muffin, you know, just leave it as an English muffin. You had to have this translation, petit pain, blah, 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 you know. But the funniest was um, we have a Swiss cheeseburger and the woman said, you cannot call that in English, a Swiss cheeseburger. And I was like, why not? She goes, because the cheese, it's made in France, not Switzerland. <laughs> and I said, but that cheese with the holes in it, we call it Swiss, and that's just the name we call it. And uh, she's like, no, no, you are in France. You cannot, there's not America. <laughs> you know? So those kinds of absurdities gave me lots of humorous situations in the book. You know, the, the terrorist people coming out with their little tape measure to see if your chair went one centimeter or two past the authorized line. That's why you always see cafes putting the seats right back to where they are, you know, because with the customer sitting in it and goes past that line, it's okay. But if the customer's gone and your seat's past that line, you can get a fine. Music. You know, we had a, a jukebox when we first opened, and uh, we had uh, it was on loan from a place. And he had the, there was a little ticket on it he had to have. It expired, like, for two days earlier. And that happened to have the music police walk in, and they were like, oh, fine, you know. And they gave the, the jukebox company a big fine, and they were, like, upset. They were just – they took the jukebox away, you know. And, uh, yeah, so there, there's, there's all these extra – things just when you think okay and then let's talk about the protests and everything right so we were hit really hard with the gilets jaunes uh, the yellow vests all the cafes and places were hurting so hard we started coming back and all of a sudden the strikes last year right the crippling strikes luckily on this here in the marais we're on the line one and those metros are now uh, automated so they kept running so we were able to stay in business here because people could get on the one line thank god and or walk over to the fifth but there's there's those kinds of things too which france is starting now to um subsidize restaurants a little bit for the loss of these things that they call social movements you know a, a strike all these things they're called mouvement social and that is something that we can't control, right? And it hurts the business, and it is part of the society. So the argument is we really need some help here. And the same with right now with the pandemic is uh, that for the first time they're talking about actually giving financial help to restaurants and cafes because we're the in bars. We're the first to close, right, and the last to open. So, so um, yeah, but I don't want to be a downer because, my God, I'm in Paris, you know, <laughs> we're doing these restaurants here, the lifestyle here, the, the quality of life, all those things that I get into in my books, um, make it a life transforming place. I mean, that's the subtitle of my book, uh, Let Them Eat Pancakes is, um, so the, yeah, so I was just saying, so that's why the subtitle of my book, um, Let Them Eat Pancakes is one man's personal revolution in the city of light. Because I, I, anyone can attest who, who's lived over here that France will just transform your life completely um, in so many ways, and and mainly for the best, in the, in the, in the richest, 
you know, uh, enrich your life and everything. Sir, sometimes it makes me a little more cynical or a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, acerbic because <laughs> of the French. And when I get back to the States, sometimes I have to go, like, oh, I can be bubbly and smile. <laughs> and it's, it, people love it. It's great. Here, here you just have to be a little more reserved, which is fine, you know. But. Yeah, no, um, several points in your book had me laughing out loud. I mean, there, I remember there was one where you're talking about how um, statistically um, the French are the most, uh, have the highest productivity. And uh, I thought, I, I, and then when you, when you went into the logics of how the study was conducted, it's like they took like a sample part of like the people who actually are at work and they forgot, they left out all the people who are on, on like, I mean, it was just the, the way that the sampling statistically was done. It just had me laughing out loud. It was me. C'est logique. Yeah. C'est logique. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's logical. No, no, you're right. I mean, there's so much to be gloriously um, thankful for, which I guess brings us back to, um, so we're, we're right. This is the Thanksgiving show. And um, I do know that the restaurants um, are, all still closed until December 1st. So it, would this be a good time to bring um, out your husband and maybe ask, yes. ask you, you both about what you guys are doing? Yes, let's do that for sure. Now you can find Paris Good Food and Wine on iHeartRadio as well as on Spotify. And also, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. IoT Shipping. IoT Shipping uses the Internet of Things technology to track and trace your value assets throughout the transport process. Data is monitored by temperature, geolocation, and movement so that you always know where your value assets are and in what condition they are in. Contact them for more information and for a quote at iotshipping.xyz. That's iotshipping.xyz. I'm Paige Donner. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. The show is produced and broadcast from Paris, France. It's Paris's first ever homegrown English language radio show about food and wine. All right, so we were able to get Julien Chamerois. Uh, out of the diner to join us for a moment here on the on the beautiful sidewalks of the Marais with Craig Carlson, and uh, so now we're going to talk a little bit more. Um, we, we had just left off about uh, talking about perhaps the reopening of the restaurant on the restaurants in Paris on December first. But Craig, you just corrected me. Yes, uh, the, the December first is when they're going to reassess the situation. But um, the prevailing knowledge. I spoke with my lawyer today and some other restaurateurs. They're saying not until January at least, um, just because they're going to roll out things slowly. You know, with Christmas coming up after that, I think, you know, maybe boutiques first and, you know, some of the BHV and the big stores, that kind of thing. But restaurants and bars, I wouldn't count on it before 2021, unfortunately. Goodness. Well, well, Julian, how are you faring in, in all of this? I know that uh, you guys work in, in, in partnership now. So how, how has this been, f- you know, for you? And, and are you going to do anything for Thanksgiving? <laughs> well, boy, <laughs> are we going to do something on Thanksgiving? Yes, we have to do something for Thanksgiving. And uh, we actually are wrapping up a uh, Thanksgiving in a box offer for people who are in Paris and are willing to, uh, you know, uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, beside that, we are doing takeout every single day from 10 to 3 o'clock 
seven days a week, and uh, and people are actually genuinely happy about you know us being open even just for takeout, because um, you know a restaurant or a cafe or a bar is not just a place where you get some food and some drinks. It's also a social place where you get together, you exchange, you know, a lot of things. And so I think it's important for a neighborhood that you have all of those places still open a little bit, just for the sake of, you know, us human being being able to socialize. Yeah. Can I just jump in about Thanksgiving, though? Uh, because uh, it's really special for us here because it's been a tradition since 2003. So this will be our 18th. And usually it's a sit-down dinner with three seatings, uh, 50 people per seating, reservations well in advance. Um, and the best part, it's uh, it's the one time where I feel like we're like a, a, a Michelin star restaurant in the sense that, um, you know, it's four courses. We all dress up. It's candlelit. I walk around with a little a big uh, pepper grinder and I tap, tap, tap on the soup and the salad. Salad, you know, it's 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 just this wonderful tradition, and and that that Americans and French have been taking part with for all this time, and so this year not to be able to have the sit down dinner, uh, Julian was the one that just said basically, let's let's have it to go, and and uh, let's keep that tradition going, keep it alive, and uh, the response has been really big. I, I don't think we're going to be able to supply everyone who wants the, the turkey. Uh, it's a first come first serve, unfortunately, but yeah. So, but yeah, do you agree with that, Julian? Just I do, I do. Yes. Yeah, to appreciate Thanksgiving, he didn't know it. <laughs> no, that's true. As a French, I had no idea what Thanksgiving was about. And, um, you know, after all these years celebrating Thanksgiving at breakfast in America, uh, I just came to love it so much, just for, you know, the spirit of exchanging that time with people around good food. But it's really a, I would say, non-commercial version of Christmas, in a way. <laughs> and, and pumpkin pie. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And as you know, it's it's difficult actually to get a supplier, um, no, someone to supply pumpkin pie in Paris, right? Because what is pumpkin spice? You know, it's 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 difficult. So um, so I had to um, you know bake them myself from scratch and make the pumpkin spice myself too because there's no shop supplying any pumpkin spice. So you have to make the mix and then you have to do this and all that. And next thing you know, oh, now I know how to make you know, pumpkin pies. What, was it, what were the French uh, reaction at first to pumpkin pie, uh, our so, customers? Yeah, <laughs> I had a customer asking, so can I have a pumpkin pie for, you know, as a starter? So the, as a starter, uh, it's usually a dessert, but you can have it as a starter if you want. Oh, it's a dessert? I had no idea. I thought it was like a quiche or something. So that, mm, we could make it a quiche, but, you know, with cheese on top and all that. But no, that's not what it is. Oh, in that case, I'll take something else. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's quite a struggle to uh, get their word across that pumpkin could be in a pie, could be sweet, could be a dessert, and it could be actually good. Well, well, yeah, really well said. I mean, and also I love your synopsis of Thanksgiving. That's how I've always felt about it, too, the, a non-commercial Christmas. You know, though, I have to say that that's, that was one of the most touching chapters in your book was your, your, your wedding uh, when you guys got married. That was, that was really phenomenal. And, and you really come off as, you were really the hero. Boy, all those times to the Marie de Quatrième. Oh my gosh, yes, 12 times. <laughs> I count them, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, how can I explain the process? Because I went through something which is out of what it should be the process, I think. But anyway, so you're supposed to go to the mairie and ask for an appointment. And 
the mayor is a city hall. So you go to the city hall of your neighborhood, your uh, district, and you ask for an appointment. You come back for an appointment. They give you a list of documents you're supposed to provide. And you come back with all the documents and they check all the documents and they tell you if you need to change anything. You know, maybe this document doesn't apply for this whatsoever. So uh, we did that, but we had to come back again and again. And um, what was supposed to be a simple procedure ended up being a marathon in some way (laughs) because of so many reasons. I mean, you know, the first reason is I give them my passport so I can, you know, copy it. So they make a copy of it. Next time I go, oh, can you bring your passport? We need a copy of it. Well, we did that last time. Oh, I can't find it. Okay. So no problem. I'll come back with my passport. I did that twice. Okay. And so uh, when you get documents from your U.S., you're supposed to have what we call an apostille on it to certificate that it's a real document. And so um, every document needs to be um, apostille, apostille, and the translation too. So as you can imagine, getting a document like that from the U.S. is not easy. It takes time. And then you have to translate it, and then you have to get the apostille. Um, so we did that. It took us a couple of weeks and months for some documents. Um, the city hall check all the documents, says... We're ready to go. That's okay. It's okay. It's uh, no problem. All the documents are okay. Next time you come, they say that one of the documents is not okay. It was okay before, and now it's not okay. So we have to send back the document to the U.S. Uh, okay. <laughs> so that's the kind of situation we had to face. Um, and at the end, so you have to choose a date for your wedding. So planning ahead, I thought, you know, I would love to have our wedding on the same day that we did the civil union, which was September 17th. That was six months ahead. So I thought six months would be plenty of time to organize everything we need to organize. So little I know. <laughs> My dossier was complete 10 days before September 17th. So I get a phone call from the city hall saying, your file is complete. I said, hallelujah. Oh, my gosh, that happened. And then the next question they asked me is, do you have a date? I said, well, that must be a joke because I choose the date the very first day I went to the appointment. It's 10 days from now. Now, a question for you guys. How do you organize a wedding in 10 days? You explain that to me. <laughs> she couldn't answer the question, of course. But, you know, just to give you a rough we end up having a very small wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but from the sounds of it in your book, it was very romantic and very and very beautiful. You know, the only reassuring thing about everything that you've just told us is that that you're you're French, so the French are just as hard on on the French bureaucrats are just as hard on French citizens as they are on everyone else. Yes, 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 yes. That's very fair right there. <laughs> There's no unfairness. What, what I love about it, for anyone who's uh, lived in France or plans to come to France, Julian gives a little uh, lesson in there about how to deal with French bureaucrats. I mean, he outlines it, you know, don't show emotion, just talk the facts. And you know, this whole thing, which I wish I had known when I first moved over here, because until I met Julian the first uh, five, six years, I was doing everything by myself. And that was really, really difficult. Um, and since Julian's come in and become a partner with the restaurant uh, uh, how many six years ago? Uh, seven years 
seven years ago now, uh, it's really, really helped. And any of that French stuff now, I just hand it over to him. <laughs> and like, concluding our wedding, okay, you got it, hon. <laughs> now, the good thing about Craig and, I mean, most of the American I know here, you guys are so nice, and you're trying to be nice with the other person, trying to make it work in a positive way. Well, that strategy may work in the States, but it doesn't work here, unfortunately. You have to be, yeah, that's the opposite. If, you know, if you try to be nice to the other, per- the other person, well, the other person is going to take that as weakness in a way, and they're going to take advantage of it somehow, you know, most of the time. So, you know, I would love to see a world where everybody is trying to come up with a solution in between, you know, the two different paths. Let's try the third path together. Oh, that would be fantastic. That's not what I do experiment as a French here in France, unfortunately. Right. Well, words of wisdom, you know, hard fought, hard, hard, long fought and hard won. <laughs> so, well, all right. So in, in conclusion, are, are there are there any um, thoughts or images um, that you'd like to share with listeners who are stuck everywhere? Not but but in France. I mean, there are millions of people who wish they could be traveling right now. So I don't know. What, what, what would you like to share with them this this season? Let's start with Julian and then we'll close with Craig. You know, there's so many little things, that how we call them, that you can discover or rediscover because now you have the time to do so. And now is actually the time to take your time, slow down, and spend some time on all the things you could not spend time on before. That's what I'm actually trying to do now because that's a real special period. And I think we should enjoy that period, take advantage of it as much as we can. That's what I'm trying to do, at least. So I, I need to shamelessly plug my book, Let Them Eat Pancakes, because I, uh, a lot of people have said, oh, you know, I, I had to cancel my trip to Paris. I'm so upset. I mean, just so many of our friends and so many people that I've known, my readers, and they said, but reading your book, I felt I was back there again. I felt like I, I, I was able to travel. I felt, you know, all those things I love about France, I, I was back there again. And I think, um, you know, that, 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 that's really important at this time. Cause, but, but I, as, uh, you know, going along with what Julian said, I think I, I love the, the, the French attitude. You know, you have like the become and uh, carry on type London thing. Here, here there's, there's this, this sort of, there's, a, there's that kind of well, get, the, the, a stoicness of getting through it, um, plus giving the wonderful social, social safety nets that are here and everything. There, there isn't the same fear about not a single person that I know will ever get evicted from their place um, you know uh, and uh, no one will go hungry here in France during this time period you know and I see some of the things happening in the States and I'm like oh you know we, we could learn from here and, and, and that's a big part of my book is I think both sides as Julian mentioned can learn from each other if we're just open to it you know I think that's the big thing I think we have so much to learn from France and I do think France has some things to learn from America like you can work more than 35 hours a week for example if you want so um you know so i think uh, yeah so so i think that's a, the for me the, t- the takeaway is 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 um being over here now and and seeing my f- family and friends back there is uh, i just look forward to the day we can all get together because the french here always are saying to me the cafes without the tourists here and the americans it, it is a huge difference i never thought that We'd miss them so much, you know. It's not just because of business; it's because of the spirit we bring to the they bring to the city. You know, uh, Francophiles they they just their passion for France just infects people like Julian, right? It's just it's 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 just a wonderful thing. So so we're just hoping 
everyone can come back soon and uh, we can all share our love of France together. Well, on that wonderful note, I want to say a grand merci beaucoup to both of you. Thank you. Merci à vous. Doesn't it sound wonderful when he says it? (laughs) Season 7 of Local Good Food and Wine is generously being brought to you by IOT Shipping. IOT, the Internet of Things. IOT Shipping tracks your value assets using the Internet of Things technology that gives you data points based on temperature, movement, and geolocation. For more information, contact us at iotshipping.xyz. That's iotshipping.xyz. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Paris Good Food and Wine. I want to say a big thank you, a calm merci beaucoup to everyone who helped make this podcast possible. And that includes you too, our listeners. We greatly appreciate that you listen to us. We really do. So leave your comments, suggestions, and reviews on our website at parisfoodandwine.net. You can find our show notes at Local Food and Wine. That's localfood.wine. Also localfoodandwine.wordpress.com. On Twitter, you can find us at Local Food Wine and at Paris Food Wine. So from your host and producer, me, Paige Donner, I want to wish you a bonne degustation and a tout à tous à votre santé from Paris, good food and wine. <laughs>